Thank you for the worship, Pam, and ladies and gentlemen of the band. If you look behind me, you'll see a a title. It says, Living a God-Directed Life. If you're new with us today, just to let you know, that's kind of the direction for this year. It's a a discussion we're going to be having throughout this year. And we've been talking about this specifically in the book of Daniel for the last few weeks. Uh, We've been looking at the book of Daniel because Daniel has led a very difficult, led a very God-directed life in a very difficult time. Remind you, he was, uh, he was, he felt the, the pressure of the siege of Jerusalem and the fall of Jerusalem, was selected to be hauled off to Babylon, was selected to be made a eunuch, was then uh, made to work, and work for a king who was continuing to attack Jerusalem as Jerusalem continued to rebel over the next 19 years. He was forced through education, forced into to a culture that he did not know. He watched his... As his friends were thrown into the fiery furnace, he was himself later tested by being thrown into the lion's den. He faced the king's wrath, and he faced and he discovered the king's honor, and he became a friend of the king, who would one day destroy Jerusalem, burn it to the ground. That's a pretty, uh, pretty varied, difficult life, don't you think? When we find Daniel here, we're, uh, we're going to chapter 9, I'll tell you why in just a minute. We find Daniel praying earnestly that God will answer him. Now, I want you to understand that Daniel's been seeking an answer for God, from God, for about 15 years. Anybody prayed for something for 15 years and just didn't get the answer that you wanted yet? Daniel's been asking for answers from God for about 15 years, since the end of chapter 7 through chapter 8, and now as we come into chapter 9. We hear this sort of final prayer that gets answered. We, we get to, to hear the, 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 the interchange between God and Daniel, but what we don't hear are all the weeks and months and years of silent heavens and earnest prayers. We cannot think that we are alone in our walk in the way we are dealing with life. It's wrong for us to imagine that we're the first ones to come along who've ever prayed and wondered if it got beyond the ceiling. It has been true throughout the scriptures. It has been true again and again and again. When you read the scriptures, recognize that these people are telling you the stories when they got the answers. This is a testimonial reel. This is a highlight reel. And in Daniel chapter 9, we have that verse in, chapter, in verse 21. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, this is chapter 8, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And we said, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if you were praying and, and Gabriel showed up in your room? Wouldn't it be awesome? You know, the angels always say the first things when they show up, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Be calm. And then they begin to speak to you. We think, wow, wouldn't that be great? Remember that this is a 15-year-long prayer that's getting answered on this day. This is not a a moment when he suddenly sat down and said, I'm going to pray, and boom, the Gabriel showed up. 
15 years he's been asking for answers from God. And now in this one, in this final sort of culminating prayer, we find this grand entrance of the angel of God and the answer to the prayer. Let's take a little bit of the reason why I want to take chapter 9 now. I'm kind of going to take these chapters and go back up a little bit. We're going to start in 9, we're going to cover 8, and we're going to review 7. So we're going to do sort of a historical order because 9 is sort of the closest one to us. If we were thinking of this logically, 9 tells us about the coming of the Messiah, which is about 500 years from where we are here. And then chapter 8 takes us all the way to 1844, which is going to be uh, 1900 and and change years from here. And then Daniel 7 takes us all the way to the end of time. So from 552, where Daniel 7 is, and 538, where Daniel 9 is, we have this progression. But the historical record goes Messiah, then 1844, and then the end of time. And so we're going to kind of take it in that order and review those things as we talk a little bit about them in the next few weeks. Where are we specifically? It's the first year of Darius the Mede, son of the Ahasuerus, in the, image, in the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Date approximately 538 B.C. 538, 537. We know when Babylon fell. It's in the records. It's written in cuneiform tablets. We know when Babylon fell. This is a solid, rock-solid date. 538 is the date of sometime in that year. What's on Daniel's mind? As Daniel comes to prayer, what's on his mind? When you go to prayer, don't you usually bring something? It would be nice if all we ever brought when we prayed was, was praise, right? If we just said, we're gonna, I'm going to spend the next hour in prayer praising God because he's awesome. Or just in worship. We just spent an hour in prayer saying, we want to worship you, Lord. I want to express how much I appreciate you. Wouldn't it be great if we prayed with just those things? But most of the time, we come to prayer with something on our mind, right? We come to prayer with an intent to get an answer to that prayer, something we need, some petition we have, correct? You can just nod because I already know it's true. What's on Daniel's mind in chapter 7 ends with Daniel says, My thoughts greatly troubled me. My countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So Daniel 7 ends. And I read Daniel 7 again this week, and I'm reading through Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is pretty good, pretty good revelation. Daniel 7 says, yeah, lots of bad stuff's going to happen, but God wins. That's ultimately what Daniel 7 says. It says lots of bad stuff is going to happen, but God wins. It's a, it's a great predictive statement. God is going to win eternal life, and the kingdom of God is going to be given over to the saints. That's the message of Daniel 7. Wouldn't you think you'd end Daniel 7 going, oh, that was cool. Thank you, God. That was very cool. Daniel ends it kind of bummed. He ends Daniel 7 feeling, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. Just kind of bummed. God gives him all of these great stories, these great pictures of what's going to happen. What does Daniel pick out? The one part that looks like a negative. Ever done that? Your boss comes in and they give you a great review. You say, they say, hey, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well. And there's this little bit and then you're doing well and you're doing well and you're doing well. And you don't hear anything else but that little bit. My wife told me this morning, this very morning, that we, are, we have a, was it, four and a half per point... Uh, is it on Yelp or on Facebook that we're rated four and a half out of five? I didn't even look. Probably don't want to know. See, we're four and a half on Facebook. 4.5 on Facebook out of five. You know what I immediately thought? Who gave us a bad review? You're out there. I'm on to find you. 
Isn't that what we do? We always focus on the gap. We always focus on what's missing. Why are we, why are we having this problem? Here's Daniel. God tells him, look, bad stuff's going to happen, but don't worry. I got this. Kingdom is given over to the saints. Judgment is found on behalf of the saints. You all are going to win. Eternal life is yours. And Daniel goes, yeah, but there's that whole thing about that little horn that kind of bugs me. It just stuck with me, and I don't understand. And I, my countenance fell. I was bummed. I didn't tell anybody. I just went around with my head down. He does it for two years till chapter 8. Three years, sorry. Chapter 8 ends. Daniel has seen again this, this sweep of history. Chapter 8 has this story about the, the desolation of the sanctuary. It's going to last 2,300 years. And Daniel fainted. And he was sick for days. Daniel gets the flu from this one. He faints and he's sick for days. Afterward, he arose and wrote about the king's business. But I was astonished by the vision and no one understood it. You look at this vision. You go read chapter 8. The whole vision is explained except that one part. I mean, he's told exactly what all these parts are. This is going to happen. 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 But God's going to win. Where does Daniel focus? 2,300 years of desolation of the temple. That just doesn't make sense. How could that be? Now Daniel sits on this for about a dozen more years. Now imagine you got those. You already can't, your countenance has changed. You're kind of sad. And then you faint. You pass out. You get sick for a couple of days. And then you go about the king's business just worried. Anybody ever tell you you can worry yourself sick? My grandmother was about 5'8", barely could keep 100 pounds on. She was a she was a classic. She was a superstar warrior. She could make things up to worry about. I wonder sometimes if, if she would have had some, a little more meat on her bones if she didn't spend all of that energy worrying. And she had lots to worry about. She had eight kids, you know, and grandkids. We did all kinds of things that could have gotten ourselves into trouble. There were lots of reasons to worry, but there were other things she didn't need to worry about. I wonder how this affected Daniel over the next decade. By the time this comes to a close, when he, when he gets to chapter 9, Daniel's about probably 72 to 75 years old. He's an elderly guy. You shouldn't be worrying this much when you're old. I'm 54, almost 55 years old. I'm trying to put some worry behind me. I'm trying to get used to not worrying so much because, you know, I'd like to stretch this out for another 40 years or so. Please, Lord. But in that process... Daniel spends a decade praying and worrying. Now, some of you are saying, I'm in that decade. Some of you are right there right now. You've been, the, been in it for five, six, seven years, praying and worrying about someone, something, some event, some problem. Some of us invent reasons to worry. Some of us come up with reasons to worry. Some of us have been coming to God morning after morning saying, what is going on with this God? What is going on with this? 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 Come on, God. All I want to tell you about this is that you're not alone. You're not first. And God is not dead. He is on his throne. He hears you. And when it is right, he will answer you. And you might say no. He may be holding off the no because of his grace. 
He may be waiting to tell you no till you're strong enough to take no. He may be saying yes. And he may be waiting until you're strong enough to take a yes. And he may just be saying, keep waiting. Just keep waiting. That one can't be answered right now. But silence in in the answer that you want doesn't mean that God doesn't care. When we read this prayer, look look at the compassion and the passion God has for Daniel. When we go through this prayer, we're just going to touch on a couple of things in it. But when you read it through, listen to the voice of God in response to Daniel, how much he cares about this man. So Daniel assaults heaven for about another decade. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the lineage of the Medes, was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Israel. He just saw in chapter 8 this thing that said, hey, 2,300 years, then the sanctuary will be cleansed, then it will be reestablished. Something cool is going to happen, but it's going to be 2,300 days. Then he sees in the book of Jeremiah, hey, look, it's only 70 years, 70 years until the captivity is over. How is Israel right now? How is Jerusalem right now? What does Jerusalem look like? Does anybody know? Anybody remember what Jerusalem looks like? Jerusalem has been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and burned to the ground. They were promised by Jeremiah the prophet. Thus saith the Lord, seven years are to be completed at Babylon, and I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. What's the promise of God that he's holding on to? Seventy years we get to go home. How old is Daniel? He's in his 70s. It's been 67 years since he arrived there. The guy could be in his 80s, depending on how old he was when he got there. He's saying, this thing's about to wrap up, God. Come on. What do you mean 2,300 years, then the sanctuary will be cleansed? Sanctuary is desolate. It's a mess. It's a problem. Come on. It's been 67 years. Come on, Lord. You said 70 years. Own your promise. He's, he's asking, proclaiming, claiming right there. He's saying, here it is, God. Right here. Jeremiah said it. The prophet said it. 70 years. 70 years for your people. 70 years. Then you get to go back. Isaiah had said, Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Guess who just came through the gates this year? Cyrus. Cyrus has just come in and taken Babylon. Daniel's looking at the things. He's saying, look, Jeremiah says 70 years. How many years does Jeremiah say? 70 years. He says, look, Cyrus is supposed to take over Babylon at the end of this and rebuild Jerusalem. Cyrus is here. 70 years. Cyrus is here. 67 years have passed. Come on, God. Ever had everything lined up and you figured out what God should be doing and then told him what to do? He's saying, look. I just, I just heard this whole thing. It's been 10 years now since the 2300, 2300. And I'm kind of confused and I'm really struggling. I don't want to be in Babylon for the next two millennium. Come on. And he says, I set my face toward the Lord to make my request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He's serious about this prayer. He's desperate for an answer. Fifteen years down the road since his first prophetic vision. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you think Daniel's glad that God started talking to him prophetically now? Do you think Daniel, after, after all this time, is going, you know, God, this prophecy thing is kind of a bummer. I'm not sure I want you to talk to me anymore because you tell me stuff and it just bums me out all the time. I'm not sure I want to hear any of this. Jesus said to the disciples, I have thing I'd like, things I'd like to say to you, but I can't. I can't tell you now. You guys couldn't handle it. Daniel, finally, in his elderly years, in his older years, my age and beyond, starts to hear the voice of God. When he hears the voice of God, this is the outcome. Desperation, sadness, brokenheartedness, so much worry that he worries himself sick. So he comes to God in desperation. Look, God, Cyrus is here. The 70 years were almost fulfilled. I don't understand what you said about this 2,300 years that the, pro, that, the, that the sanctuary would remain desolate. And by the way, it has to be years. Otherwise, it's like six years. If it's, day, if it's literal days, it's just six years. He could kind of get his mind around that, I'm sure. In fact, he might even just put a, a, a mark on the door to start marking on the wall, counting the days down. It has to be years. Otherwise, what's, what's he freaked out about? Right? So he recognizes this is a big, long prophecy. And he's saying, wow, why would the sanctuary be desolate, be so, so destroyed for that long? And so in sackcloth, sackcloths and ashes, he goes to God. I was watching chapter 7. The same horn was making war against the saints, prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came. Chapter 7, there's this little horn power. It comes up and it prevails against the saints until the Ancient of Days came. What does that say? It says, man, this thing's going to prevail all the way till the end of time, till the Ancient of Days comes. Chapter 8, oops, sorry. How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice, giving both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? 2,300 days. Daniel is stressed because he thinks God has prolonged Israel's struggle. Do you buy that? Do you see it in Scripture? The text is saying, here's the picture, Daniel. Daniel's frustrated and worried. Why? Because the picture doesn't match what he thinks God is supposed to be doing. Seventy years is almost up. Cyrus has walked through the gate. Jerusalem looks like that. It's a destroyed mess. It's, a, it's, it's nothing. It's a bunch of rocks piled over and, killed and, and knocked over. There's nothing there. The temple's been burned down. Jerusalem is a wasteland. People don't even live there anymore. And he's saying, come on, God. Are you serious? Are you, are you really going to make us wait 2,000 years to fix this? Really? He doesn't understand, so he prays. He doesn't understand. So he prays. I like this. I think this is a good idea. When you don't understand, you could pray. When you're confused about what's going on and confused about the answers that you don't seem to have, you could pray. Daniel doesn't understand. God, 67 years have passed since I came and you promised I'd be out by 70. I'd like to live long enough to go home. God, Cyrus, you said, was going to come through the gate, and he did. 
What's all this? I don't understand. So he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays some more and he prays some more. And he studies the Bible and he studies the the words from Jeremiah. He studies the prophets. He starts to come to the conclusions. Yeah, God, this I'm right here. This is this 70 year thing. You said it. It was clear. He said it twice. He said it in 25 and he said it in 29. I know for sure this is legit. You know it's okay to talk to God that way? Read the prophets. They do it all the time. It's okay to come to God with your misunderstandings and confront God with your thinking. This is what I think I understand. What's the problem here? What's going on? It's okay to come to God with your open heart. He already knows. You're not keeping anything from him anyway. So if you're a little frustrated, you might as well admit it. Lay it out in front of him and say, God, this is what, I don't understand what's going on here. This doesn't make sense to me. The scriptures are informing this prayer. And I'm, I'm just going to go through a couple of quick things in the prayer. Oh, Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 5 and 7. He's quoting back to God, the word of God. He's quoting Moses back to God. He's saying, God, Moses made this promise that you would keep the covenant of mercy with those of us who keep your commandments. He says, I know we haven't done it well. I know we're a mess and I know we deserve all the problems we have. But Lord, you, you're God and you keep your covenant. We break it. We mess it up. We don't do very well with this, but you're God and you keep your part. Remember? Remember God? All Israel has transgressed your laws, departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. He remembers. He's talking about, he's talking about Deuteronomy. He said, you remember what Deuteronomy says, blessings and curses, life and death, choose life. And here he's quoting back. God, I know what's written in the laws of Moses. I know that it says if we keep wandering off like this, that, that yeah, we'll, we will suffer the consequences of that wandering. But hidden in the background of this statement to God is, but you said in Jeremiah that we'd be out of here and I got three years left on my sentence, God. I got three years left on my Babylonian sentence. Please, God, don't change the rules now. I'm ready to be out of here. I'm ready to, to check off the last marks and go home. Come on, God. I'm telling you because I understand. I think every single person in this room is at a moment, has had a moment or, or 10 or 20 where we come to God with something and didn't get the answer we wanted, buttered our heads up against it and said, oh, come on. You're God? Scriptures say that you're omnipotent. You have all the power of heaven and earth. You can do what you want. Come on. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant. And the supplications, for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's quoting the words now from chapter 8. The desolation of the sanctuary. 
is quoting them back to God. It looks like this. It's desolate. God, it's, 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 it's a mess, but 2,000 years is too much. We do not present our supplications before you because of our, our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. We, we so rarely stop to recognize that the prophets and the people of Israel understood the mercy of God. Here's Daniel, and he's saying it. We don't, we don't deserve it, but we know that you're a merciful God, and so I'm appealing to you because of your great mercies. While I was speaking, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me at about the time of the evening offering, about three or so in the afternoon. It's our six or so in the afternoon. The time of the evening offering. He said, he still, Daniel still lives in Jerusalem's timetable. Daniel still lives. He lives in Babylon, but his brain's in Jerusalem. He still has a Jerusalem timetable. This is about the time of the evening offering. He's writing this in Hebrew to the Jewish people. He knows they will understand what the evening offering time is. And so when he conveys it to them, that's what he shares with them. While I was speaking, while I was speaking, God was answering. While I was speaking, God was answering. Is that true of your prayers? While I was speaking, God was answering. While I was speaking, God was answering. Fifteen years later, while I was speaking, God was answering. Fifteen years ago, he was saying no. Or he was saying wait. He was saying maybe. I don't know what he was saying. But today, while I was speaking, Gabriel came. I want to I want to just admonish you to to continue in prayer. Don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on your righteous requests of God. Your unrighteous requests you can give up on. But don't give up on the requests that, that are in alignment with who God is, with who, what his character is. Don't 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 give up on your prayers. Just because an answer is delayed doesn't mean that an answer is not coming. Don't give up on your prayers. I've told you this story enough times that most of you could probably tell me the story, but I was sitting in this church. It was been on about 15 years ago. Actually, it wasn't in this building. It was a different building. I was in church, and I'd, I had preached on prayer, and, and a gentleman came up at the end. And he said to me, today my mother's prayers were answered. He was in his 70s. His mother had been dead for many, many years. But her prayers were answered long after she went silent because God is not encumbered by time. Your prayers go before a God who is eternal and they outlast you. Lift up your children. You may never see the answer. But that doesn't mean God's not answering. Hold up your family, whether they're here or across the country. 
You may never know what God is doing, but that doesn't mean he's not doing something. God is moving in the world because people pray. And he moves differently when we pray than when we don't. Our prayers allow God to step into our lives and the lives of others in a way he cannot if we don't ask. In the ways he cannot if we don't ask. The body of Christ should be assaulting the throne constantly on behalf of the world and the people we love. And asking him to intercede, asking him to step in, asking him to touch lives, asking him to make a difference. We have not because we ask not. Fifteen years. Fifteen years he prayed. And finally, (laughs) swiftly, Gabriel came. I don't know. He, he knows because Gabriel hit the brakes and kind of had to lay some rubber to stop. <laughs> Gabriel then gives him this answer. Seventy weeks are determined for your people, for your holy city. Look at the list that they're supposed to do. Just look at the list. This is the prayer. I, I listed it as a list because it's the list in the prayer. But look at the list. To, make, to, to finish transgression. Okay, Israel, you got, you got 500 years to finish transgression. 490, actually. Finish transgression. Okay, get that right. No more sinning after 490 years. Make an end of sin. To make reconciliation for iniquity. You're going to have to make reconciliation for all the bad, all the evil, all that stuff. Oh, and, and, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. From, from that moment on, from the day that, that clock clicks by, no more unrighteousness. Period. You're bringing in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. Stop prophets. No more prophets. No more visions. Done. And oh, by the way, anoint the most holy. What are Israel's chances? They're really not going to get any of those done, but maybe the last one, right? Because all of those depend on the last one. All of those who finishes transgression, Jesus, who makes an end of sin, Jesus, who brings reconciliation for iniquity, Jesus, who brings in everlasting righteousness, Jesus, who seals up vision and prophecy, Jesus. What's Israel's responsibility? Recognize Jesus, anoint Jesus. He takes care of the rest of this. He takes care of the rest of it. His goal is to do the others. Your goal is to see that he's there and recognize him and anoint him. Anoint the Messiah. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. 69 weeks of Messiah's coming. Daniel is worried about his people. He's frustrated about what God's doing. What is God's answer? Does God say to him, oh, uh, don't worry about that 2300 days. It has nothing to do with you guys. It's on something else. Don't don't worry about that so much. He actually tells him that at the end of chapter 8. But he doesn't come in his prayer and answer that. He's saying, God, can you please explain? 67 years have passed. Cyrus is here. Are we going home or aren't we going home? Come on. What does God say? Oh, by the way, Messiah's coming. Messiah's coming. 690 years of Messiah's coming. Good news. You'll be long dead, but good news, right? 
The answer to the prayer isn't the answer Daniel expected, is it? What's the answer Daniel wants? Yes, Daniel, in three years you'll get to go home, we'll rebuild Jerusalem, everything will be good. That's the answer he wants, right? He wants to be told, to be assured that they're going to go home and rebuild Jerusalem and that he's going to be buried at home, which, by the way, he eventually seems to be. But instead, God says, Daniel, man, could you stop worrying about stuff that I got? Can you stop worrying about things that I have covered? I hold you in, the, in my hand. I have this. I've got you covered. Messiah is going to bring some amazing things in about 69 weeks of years. He's coming. We spend a lot of time usually talking about this prophecy and talking about the, the timetables and talking about all those other pieces. But can you just feel the heart of the man for a bit? He's been praying for 15 years. He doesn't get the answer he's expecting. He's He gets an answer that says, I want you to lift your eyes higher. I want you to see a higher plane. I want you to catch something bigger. I want you to understand something greater. So often you and I are praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And we get an answer that seems to be something else. And God is saying, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Stop getting caught on what's going on and look up. I got this. Here's the, here's the timeline because if it wasn't there, you would be disappointed. There's the timeline. We'll make it quick. Seven years of their exile in Babylon is about to end. Artaxerxes season 457 is going to say, go back, rebuild the walls which was the one of the part of the rebuilding. That's going to go for 69 weeks. The 70th week, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be cut off in the midst of that week. And you see the other things, temples destroyed in the age, kept picked up in the other prophecies, actually. The Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. In the midst of the week, Daniel and the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. In the midst of that 70th week, Daniel... The Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come, there's your little horn you've been worrying about, Daniel. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary again. Now, if you're the glass half full guy, not the glass half empty guy, you just went, well, if they're going to destroy it, then it must get rebuilt, right? from the decree to go and rebuild the sanctuary and the temple. You're saying, okay, okay, I got my answer, right? You pull your answer out of the prayer. You ever pull your little answer out of a big, big answer? Pull your little piece out of a big answer? Here's God saying, the Messiah is coming. And Daniel says, wait, wait, wait. You said the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. That means it's happening. And you said said that they're going to destroy it. That means it's built. I wonder how many times heaven looks down and goes, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Did you, you guys hear what I told them? Did you see what they walked away with? In the middle of the week, they shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he, the Messiah, 
we're bringing in to sacrifice and offering. Daniel, Jesus is coming. Daniel, I know, I know you're worried about the little horn power. I know you're worried about that 2300 days thing. I know you're worried about what's going to happen. I know you're worried about the suffering of the people. I appreciate that your heart is breaking for your people. But Daniel, the Messiah is coming. Daniel, I I know you're struggling with the things that are going on around you. Yes, Cyrus came through the gate. I saw him. I know. I told Jeremiah the 70 weeks was about, what was the time frame? I know it's about up. I get it. I understand. Don't forget, I am God. I laid the plan. I figured this out before you started. Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Hey, Daniel, did you hear that part? Jesus is coming. Hey, Walt, I know you're worried about whether or not you're going to be able to do the things you want to do. You're sitting here today worrying about whether or not you're going to be able to retire someday. Hey, hey, Walt, did you know Jesus is coming? You keep checking your bank account like it's going to change. Jesus is coming. You're praying about stuff on the earth all the time. You're focused on what's happening in your day-to-day life. You keep your head down instead of looking up and realizing Jesus is coming. Look, I keep telling you, while it's in the book, I've written it several times now. Did you catch? Did you happen to read the last page of Revelation, Walt? I got this. Jesus is coming. It's the assurance of our salvation. It's the assurance of our future. It's the assurance of our resurrection. Hey, everybody, Jesus is coming. God and God alone coming to the earth, returning for his children to take them home. He settles the problems. We weep and we pray over the life of someone who's suffering. We weep and we pray over someone who's ending their life. And you know what God says? That's terrible. I understand. It's painful. I understand. But Jesus is coming. We worry and we struggle over the the impact that we might be having in some, some, some space where we work. We struggle and we worry about whether or not we're ever going to be successful in, in our little thing. And God says, yeah, 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 I got that. But Jesus is coming. And we pray for decades. And we pray for moments. And sometimes we don't pray at all. And God's saying, man, guys, do you, do you get it? Do you, do you understand? Jesus is coming. He says, I know you're worried about a lot of things, but have you told anybody else that Jesus is coming? Have you, have you told any friend, family, child, member of your church or your work, that Jesus is coming? I, I worry about ISIS and what they're doing in Syria and the kind of craziness that's going on in the Muslim world. But God says, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm not surprised. Jesus is coming. I worry about who's going to be elected president. We've got some real winners up there for the election, aren't there? And God says, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I can see who's running too. But Jesus is coming. Oil prices are crashing. The stock market's going like this. And God says, yeah, I, yeah, I know. 
Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is in fact coming. And so all the other facts, they're they're kind of fading. Because this one fact changes everything. You can drive behind the slowest person on the freeway with a smile on your face because Jesus is coming. You can face your teenager in all of their rebellion without getting frustrated because Jesus is coming. You can deal with your worries because there is assurance that Jesus is coming. And when he comes, sorrow, pain, death, sickness, trials, traumas, worries, all of the heartbreaks of our lives go away. Why? Because when he comes, everything changes. Jesus is coming. Father, we are so broken that we focus our heart and our energy and our time on everything else it seems please ingrain so deeply in our heart that it changes the way we look at the world around us the reality the truth the fact that you are returning Lord, thank you that you are helpful with our worries. But help us to recognize your answer. In Jesus' name. Because he's coming. Amen.